Hello, and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Joanne Tayala. Joanne is the founder and executive director of Homegrown, a host home program for youth aging out of foster care based in Eureka, California. Well, good morning, Joanne. Welcome to the podcast series. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing great and happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. To get started, what I'd like to ask is if you could please share a little bit about yourself and how is it that you came to be connected with the foster care system? Yeah, My first real exposure to foster care was actually in my senior year of high school. A friend of mine was living in a foster home, and she had shared with me how her foster parents were in it for the money, and they really didn't do anything for her. She actually had to work part-time after school in order to even get food and just remembering that and it was very shocking and impactful and i think since then i kind of just knew that i wanted to be a foster parent or adopt from foster care in order to actually provide more youth with safe and supportive homes and specifically for teens like my friend who had not had that support that she needed while she was in the system And then fast forwarding to a few years ago, when my partner and I, we were living in Minneapolis, Minnesota, we tried to adopt two teenage sisters from foster care who were about to age out. One was 17 and the other was 16. We unfortunately didn't make it all the way through the matching process with them. They were ICWA and they were placed with an ICWA family already. Their social worker wanted them to be with a family who could help them better connect to that Native culture, which I understood, but I was really, really heartbroken. It was a hard day. (laughs) So my biggest concern was what would happen to them if they aged out without being adopted? Where would they live? What supports would they have? And I kind of went down this rabbit hole looking up information on this. And I read studies that showed that over 20,000 foster youth end up homeless in the U.S. every year. And that statistic was just staggering to me. So that's when I decided that I wanted to do more to help support as many youth as possible and keep them from ending up homeless, as well as wanting to foster and adopt. And so during the pandemic, my husband and I, we decided to quit our jobs in Minnesota and move back to California to be closer to family. And I've always wanted to start my own nonprofit and have a positive impact in my community. It's actually what made me go back to school for my master's degree in nonprofit management. So when we got to California, you know, without having a job to keep me busy and with COVID just keeping me mostly at home, I'd kind of decided that that was the right time to start a nonprofit, which became homegrown. And how I ended up choosing the host home program in particular is just because, well, I had heard of Avenues for Youth in Minneapolis and actually wanted to host for them, but then COVID had happened. 
And then I attended a symposium from Point Source Youth on solutions to end youth homelessness that they had done online. And they had this session on that host home model, which is proven, scalable, and I always mess up how to say this word. It's replicable, like you can Mm -hmm. repeat it. (laughs) I I can never say that word. (laughs) I think you got it. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's a really great youth homelessness intervention. So it provides housing and supportive services to youth without having to wait for more affordable housing options to open up. So I started this here in Humboldt County, California. I also partnered with Point Source Youth, who provides resources, supports, and connections to other programs. While my program isn't specific to just supporting youth aging out of foster care, it is the reason I started this program. And it is the population that I have the most passion to work with. And there really just needs to be more support in place for these youth with their transition to independent living. What young person couldn't use help with that? It's an intimidating transition to make, especially if you're on your own. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we all go through that, but most of us have some kind of support system. Yeah. And even when you have that support, it is really hard. Like I know I had the support of my parents and they were helping me out financially when I went to college and paying my room and board. And But I still had to figure out like how to budget my money and go grocery shopping and cook and do laundry. I'd never done laundry before. So you like still have this learning curve and it's even harder if you're coming from somewhere like foster care. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, some do. Some youth in foster care are lucky and they have foster parents who care and they're teaching them the life skills and helping them get ready to transition. I I probably don't say that enough, that I do recognize that there are some really good foster parents out there, caring people who really do support the young folks in their homes. But of course, as you've mentioned with your friend in high school, there are those who don't Or, you know, maybe they care, but they're really providing the minimum, right? They're not really going above and beyond to help them prepare for transitioning to adulthood. You know, they're giving them a place to live. They're feeding them. They may well be very nice to them, but they're just not taking that extra time. Yeah, there's a whole mix. Absolutely. Well, when did you start Homegrown? How long ago was that? It was, well, we're a brand new organization, So I founded it last November, and it takes a while to get everything up and running. We actually haven't started providing services to youth yet. We're still looking for more caring community members who are willing to step up and open up their homes and hearts in order to host a youth. And so we do have some community members who are working on going through the host application and training process. So we're hopeful that it's going to be up and running in the next month or two. And it sounds like when you're saying you're looking for community members, is this really locally focused? We're based out of Eureka, but it serves all of Humboldt County. And do you want me to just kind of explain what the host home model is? Yeah, I I really want to dig into that. So you may as well start. (laughs) The host home model, we're pairing transition-aged youth, so ages 18 to 24, with community members in Humboldt County who have extra space in their homes. And so this approach allows youth to obtain access to stable short-term housing while building meaningful connections with caring adults in their community. 
And our program allows youth to stay for anywhere from one to 12 months, but the average in most host home programs is three to six months. There isn't enough affordable housing anywhere, really, but in Humboldt County also. And so the host home model allows us to use these existing infrastructures in order to support these youth. Putting them in a house with someone where they have a spare bedroom without having to wait for more affordable housing to open up is a great way to utilize existing resources. Yeah, I would say so. I I really do like the idea. And you're saying this is for young people who have already aged out? Yeah, so 18 to 24-year-olds. It could count for youth who are in extended foster care at some point, but we don't have the licensing to provide for that at this time. So it would be people who are not in foster care currently. This type of program, this model, we see that it really supports specifically transition age youth best because these youth benefit most from early interventions. They end up needing less long-term support and are less likely to experience homelessness again. That's an excellent outcome. And that's from a host home organization that you said you worked with, that data? Yes. Yes, Point Source Youth. Wonderful. And is the housing free or is there an effort to, you know, help the young people transition into the concept of paying rent, right? Do they have some kind of responsibility financially when they're staying in the host homes? Yeah, that's a really great question. It is free. So the youth are not paying rent. The idea is that they're able to use their time and the short stay to save up money to get their own housing. So they're not paying any rent or anything like that. What they're doing is saving up for like a security deposit first and last month's rent and just having maybe a little bit of buffer for when they are on their own. Okay. What is this going to look like when you actually start pairing young people with the host homes? Is it an online process that the young people manage independently? Do they have to go through you as the staff to connect them with a host home? What is that going to look like? Yeah. So let me kind of quickly go through the process for both host and youth. Hosts, they go on our website and they're going to fill out the host application form and send that in to me. And then we conduct a one-on-one interview with them. They have to also pass a background check and we contact references. We conduct a home inspection and they also go through a 14-hour training program to be able to really support those youth and help them as best they can. After that, we try and start matching youth with them based on shared values, interests, and lifestyles. For the youth, I'm going to receive a referral from local agencies in the area, and they're going to fill out the application form on our website. They're going to just chat with me, and I'm going to learn more about them and their interests and lifestyles to help with the matching process and kind of figure out what goals they want to work on while they're in the program. The youth, they look at host profiles and decide what hosts they want to meet. We're going to set up that initial meeting for the host and youth to get to know each other and see the house. And both the host and the youth have the option at any point during the matching process say, no, I don't think this is a good fit. We're not just 
placing a youth with a host and saying, good luck. If both the host and the youth wish to move forward with the match, then we set up a second meeting where the host and youth actually work together to create a mutual housing agreement, which covers things like rules and expectations. And that applies not only to the youth, but to the host as well. So it's mutual rules. So if they want to move forward after that, then they'd set a move-in date and the youth will move in. And both the host and the youth will receive ongoing support and regular check-ins with staff. One thing I really love about this is that we're giving youth options and letting them pick where they want to live. It's, I think, really powerful, especially for youth who are in foster care and never really had a say in that before and where they're placed. I also like that the youth specifically come into the home knowing a lot more about the host than the hosts know about the youth, which can help change that power dynamic. I think that's Mm -hmm. really cool. Now, do the hosts, do they have the ability to say, we really would only like to host girls or we would really only like to host boys? Is there that ability there? And in other words, are you serving both young men and young women? Yes, there is the ability for the host to say, you know, I'm not comfortable hosting a girl or I live in a more rural part of the county and I'm not near a bus stop. So I can only take a youth who has their own transportation So we do use the harm reduction model. So if youth are using, that's okay. But hosts do also have the right to say, you know, I will not take a youth in our home who is using while they're living here. And, you know, it's up to the youth if they're okay with those things or not. What is the harm reduction model? That's a new thing to me. Yeah, it's essentially meeting youth where they're at. It's not expecting sobriety to be in the program because we do see that a lot of youth who are using really need to have stable housing and have their basic needs met before they can even focus on dealing with issues related to drug use or any other goals that they need to work on. And so just being respectful and mindful of where they're at, because if you say, you know, some housing programs don't allow drug use. And so that can be harder on the youth because then they get kicked out back into homelessness, which makes it harder to get off of using the substance of their choosing. And it makes it a lot harder in the long run for them to get back on their feet and have the support that they need. Yeah. It makes me wonder if targeting certain groups of people might help with, you know, finding people who would be understanding of that. So, for example, if you were to market the host role to people who work with youth who are dealing and managing with drug or alcohol addiction, then you have people who have that background serving at hosts. I could see that as being an advantage. Yeah. Not a requirement, but I could just see it would be it would be an advantage to have that experience. Yeah, it definitely is. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of actually, what would the ideal host look like? What are you looking for in the hosts? Specific characteristics I'd like in a host. There are two things that are really important. And they might sound a little bit contradictory, but the first is we want hosts who can be very, very flexible. And the second is we want hosts to be really good about setting and maintaining boundaries. 
those are the most important things for sure. But just at least someone who is willing to open up their home and be a kind, caring, supportive adult for the youth. Someone who likes doing mentoring or wants to help people in their community. That's definitely the type of person we're looking for. Does it matter whether you have married couples or single individuals? Are you looking for really the gambit? You know, it can be a whole mix of things. The host just needs to be at least 25 years old. We actually have a household going through the process right now where in the house, it's a married couple and a roommate. And instead of the married couple being the host, it's the wife and the roommate who are going to be the host. So that's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, that is. And I can see the 25-year age. I think you would want at least a little bit of a difference or at least some level of maturity, although you said that these young people could be up to 24 years old. (laughs) So you could have hosts and youth who are pretty close in age. But if they're a homeowner, you know, they've had a little more experience with certain things than the youth coming out of foster care. Yeah. They don't have to be a homeowner, though, do they? No, they can rent. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just realized I made that assumption there. <laughs> now, this is really interesting. I, this is the first I've heard of an actual program. I've, I've heard of the idea of host homes the idea of the Mm -hmm. short-term living arrangements for youth aging out of foster care, or you said, or other youth as well. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a fantastic idea. And I'm just really excited to be speaking with you about this. And speaking of, I am interested in knowing what other youth that you serve. We're, of course, focused on the youth aging out of foster care at Aging Out Institute, but share any type of circumstance that you might be helping with. Yeah. So we serve Any youth who are between the ages of 18 to 24 years old who are experiencing housing instability, that could include a lot of different things. So it could be temporarily staying at a friend's house or family member's house, staying at a shelter, couch surfing, about to exit or already exiting foster care, squatting, staying in their car, sleeping on the streets, you name it. Yeah. I don't know what is near Humboldt County. Are you near a metropolitan area, an urban area? Are you more rural? I would consider Humboldt County to be a more rural area. We're about five hours above San Francisco and about an hour to an hour and a half from the Oregon border. Eureka is the biggest city in Humboldt County. And I want to say, I don't know the exact population, probably around like 30,000 people. So that's the biggest city. And so what are the numbers that you're looking at as far as the youth that you would be targeting? Is it a huge problem in your county, homelessness with youth, or is it really something that you feel you could make a big impact? Let me give you some stats that just came out for 2020. So according to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, There were 77 transition-aged youth in Humboldt County who experienced homelessness in 2020. Of those 77 youth, so you had five who were able to obtain transitional housing services, while another six were able to obtain emergency shelter, leaving 66 of these youth without shelter. So that means only 14.3% 
of transition-age youth who needed housing services in Humboldt County last year actually got the support that they needed. That is a lot. There is one organization in Humboldt County that actually focuses on youth homelessness, the Redwood Community Action Agency. They do a lot of support for these youth, but there's not enough. And this is just the stats for youth that meet HUD's definition of homelessness, which doesn't include everyone. But it is needed. And we wouldn't be able to fill the entire gap either. You know, I think more services need to be provided. I'm hoping to, within the first year, to be able to serve 10 to 15 youth at a time. Now, that doesn't mean each year because, say, a youth is able to successfully exit in a month or three months, then you can get another youth into that host home, ideally, after that. So hopefully we can help bridge that gap. Right. Well, what are your goals as far as how many host homes you would like to manage with your organization? I realize that, you know, it might be over time that you would be growing, but what's what's your vision? For now, definitely want to have a goal of 10 host homes. If things go really well, it'd be great to expand to more You can really only have one case manager to 10 to 15 youth and hosts at a time, I'd say. So it depends on funding and demand. And finding hosts is very difficult. I would say it's probably the biggest volunteer ask you could do is bringing someone that you know practically nothing about who's experienced homelessness or has some sort of trauma in their history into your home. It definitely takes a special person, and probably for every hundred people you have who are interested, you might get a couple of hosts out of it. And considering we're in a more rural area, that could be a little more difficult than if you're in a more urban city area. We'll have to see how that all works. I'm just thinking out loud here. I wonder if there are any small landlords, you know, that might own a handful of rental properties or rental units. If you could find somebody with a good heart who would be interested and willing to utilize one of their units and then be that mentor for that young person. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure that they would necessarily want to not have that income, but you might have somebody who feels like there's a, you know, a calling to help and that they might be willing to do it. Yeah, it's something to consider. I actually had an idea years ago. Maybe with your experience of getting this off the ground, you can tell me if it's realistic or not. <laughs> and that is to have an like an Airbnb, but for young people aging out of foster care. My thinking was that you could have people who sign up to open up their homes that you might be able to have, uh, you know, an online background check process built in. You were talking about training and home inspections, but maybe this wouldn't be quite as in-depth as having that mentoring. It really would just be, you need a short-term place to stay. We can set up this like Airbnb type of situation for you to stay temporarily. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I've moved on. It's just been an idea in the back of my head for a while. From your experience, what do you think? Do you think something like that is doable? Because then you can break through geographic boundaries. I think it would depend 
on how many youth for one you'd have in the home because I've worked with youth who live in shared housing situations and receive case management support and it can be difficult if you don't have people that mesh well in the place that they're living together. There can be a lot of conflict and issues that pop up. Well, my thinking would be, you know, you have a youth, they're looking for a place to stay and they would go to a home like you're talking about where, you know, a couple or a retired woman or whoever has a room and then they could go and stay in that home. It's more like that, not a group home situation. I completely misunderstood that. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That, I mean, that's an idea. I mean, yeah, it sounds very similar to this. Uh, I would just be like maybe even more short term, I guess you're thinking. Possibly. It's, you know, it's something, you know, maybe AOI will look into down the road, but it's more of, like you were saying, you've got to do the background checks. I think that's critical Uh for the people who are in the homes. But I did want to ask you, you said you do home inspections and you do 14 hours of training. Who's doing the home inspection and what criteria are they using and who's doing the training for you? Right now I'm doing the training. I just finished making the training and I'm actually having people review it that give me feedback. Actually, my background is in instructional design and development. So I, you know, building training is what I have been doing most of my life. So I know building training is not easy, but if you put, you know, really good time into it and you know the material well, then you can absolutely turn around and teach it. I just didn't know if you had partnered with anyone yet on that or the inspections. Yeah. So the inspection form, you know, I'm just using what other people have used in host home programs. Let's see, I can pull it up here. You know, mostly it's just checking to see that the house seems like a good environment. Is it accessible? It would depend on the youth if that's even an issue. Uh, You're checking to make sure if hosts have any weapons that those are in a locked, secure place where the youth cannot access it and they shouldn't be accessing it while the youth are in the home. You know, you want to make sure, you know, that heat, air conditioning's working, smoke detectors, stuff like that. Excellent. It seems like you've gotten a lot of resources from what you said it was Point Source Youth. Yeah, they provide a chunk of the resources. They definitely don't provide everything. I've gotten some resources from other host home programs. I've had to make a lot of my own resources as well, or I've talked with people I know in the field who are like, oh, this is the sort of thing that we've done, and just kind of incorporating a bunch of different things that I think would be useful. Sure, absolutely. I will take the opportunity to share that Aging Out Institute is starting the process of building what we're calling the AOI Toolbox which is going to be a file sharing center for programs that work with youth aging out of foster care, where organizations like yourself can donate documents, like say this inspection checklist, you know, without the branding, it would have to be genericized and it would have to be documents that you're willing to share. But these documents are loaded to the site and then everybody can have access to it. And there are so many programs out there working with this population that if everybody even just shared one document, we'd have hundreds of documents that people could utilize. Why reinvent the wheel? I completely agree with you. I actually have thought a lot about that with Point Source Youth having a resource list as well. 
And feeling that that's not all encompassing enough that I feel like I want to put out a toolkit when I've completely gotten all of my paperwork and forms together and just making sure that anyone who wants to start a host home program has access to all of those things so that they also don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can help more youth sooner and it doesn't have to be as much work for every individual person trying to do that. Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll hit you up for that when when it's ready. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll get it in the toolbox. Sounds good. Well, one thing I did want to ask you is how you are being funded to get this host home model <laughs> off the ground. Oh, yeah. So funding's <laughs> definitely an issue right now. For now, we are still waiting to get our 501c3 status to become an official nonprofit. Hopefully by October or November, we should have that if all goes well. It just, it's a long waiting period. This podcast is the first opportunity that I've had to share that we just got our letter from the IRS that we are officially a 501c3 ourselves. And I know it is a long process. (laughs) It is. It really is. And congratulations. That's very exciting. (laughs) Thank you. It is exciting. Yeah, I can't wait to go on the website and update everything. (laughs) So yeah, I will keep my fingers crossed for you that it isn't as long. Yeah. So for... Us, we, you know, are waiting on that 501c3 status to apply for grants. The program itself doesn't cost a ton to run, especially if you have volunteers opening up the home. Now, there is typically an opportunity for hosts to receive a small stipend to basically cover additional cost of utilities, food, and toiletries, but only if they really need it. Otherwise, they're volunteering all of that. So we do have some small individual donations. We also have connections to some organizations who could potentially provide that funding for now to cover that host stipend just until we get funding ourselves. And then not paying any staff. It's basically me. I have a board of directors too, but I am volunteering my time to do this. And then I've made a lot of contacts with people who are like, oh, I can't host. I don't have the space for it, but I'd be really interested in volunteering. So getting help from people where I can with some administration tasks, or even potentially providing some mentoring outside of the home where they could help them with some of those goals as I'm working on like recruiting and other tasks that need to be focused on. So that's kind of where we're at at this point. Okay. Well, I realize you're not officially a nonprofit yet, but if anybody did want to donate, understanding that that's your current status, is there a way for them to do that yet? Yes, they can go to our website. There's a donate button on there that they could fill out online and donate through PayPal on the website. And when we do get that 501c3 status, it should backdate the tax exemption. It'll be backdated. We'll send them information. All right. Wonderful. I do have a question about just thinking about what your model is going to look like. Have you put any thought into particular partnerships possibly with other organizations in the community to help the young people in your host homes with things like 
ensuring that they can finish their education and meet their education goals or finding a job or, you know, mental health support, that type of thing. I know with small organizations, partnerships are key. And I just didn't know if you had thought about filling in the possible gaps that these young people are facing with those types of partnerships. Yes, that is a thing I've done a lot of work on. So I've got a lot of connections in the community in various areas where I can send the youth to get support from people who focus on helping them with those particular goals that they would want to work on. That's great. I mean, there's so many different areas, of course, that these young people need support, education, housing, employment relationships, life skills, you know, all of that, health and mental health. So if you have community partners that can help with those, then it's really just a matter, I think, of staying in touch with the youth and with the host. I don't know, what do you call just hosts with the hosts to kind of keep tabs on what's needed? Exactly. And would you have some kind of regular touch points with the hosts to stay on top of that? Yes, I would be meeting regularly with host and youth, youth more often because we'll be working on goals, but there's definitely regular check-ins. Yeah. Wonderful. Now, you are in California, and I realize the answer to this might be different for you than in other states, but I'm just wondering, you know, what kind of hoops, if you will, did you have to jump through to get this program started and approved? Or has it really just been, you know, you want to do it and as long as you have the organization within your own planning, then you're good to go? Or did you have to get approval from county level, state level and so forth for your program? Yeah, that's a good question. Considering we're starting it as a new nonprofit, you definitely have to go through all the state hoops to make everything official. So I went through that process. So you have to start with, you know, the Secretary of State and Attorney General and all that stuff and making sure everything's in compliance. I also like checked in with the state to see if there was any particular licensing that I needed to acquire in order to get started, which I don't, unless I'm working with minors, which at this point we're not, but some programs do and may eventually expand to that. But just for the sake of starting off, (laughs) we did not do that. Okay, sure. And let's see, we don't have to go through the county in particular, although we are in contact with some people at the county, because we're not going through the county to get referrals, just because they have a priority system where they're helping people who have the most dire need, typically, and we're trying to get youth before they've experienced that long-term homelessness, And so it's not quite going to be the same with that. So yeah, Yeah. we didn't have to do anything there. Okay. Well, it sounds like, you know, to at least get started taking the path of the least resistance (laughs) is the best way to go. And then you can expand and add on as you, you know, have experience and have things kind of down pat. Yeah. Excellent. Now, from your perspective, I do like to ask the folks who I'm interviewing what you think the foster care system can do to improve the support for young people aging out of foster care. I don't want it to be a a system bashing session, but, you know, where are there opportunities (laughs) for improvement? So we all know there are opportunities, but 
Do you have any thoughts yeah. on, on where there could be some improvements made? Yes. So obviously learning how to be an adult could be hard, especially if you don't have a lot of long-term stability in your life. So I do think the foster care system could do a lot more to make the transition to adulthood easier for youth who are aging out. They could provide more funding for caseworkers so they're not overworked and overloaded and can provide better support for foster parents and foster youth. They could create more opportunities for youth to stay in extended foster care or obtain housing support as they're making that transition. And they could pair youth in the foster care system with a mentor because, you know, a lot of youth end up bouncing around from home to home. And so having like that stable person, I think, could be really beneficial, even through an established program like Big Brothers, Big Sisters, uh, having that constant caring adult who can be there to count on no matter what would be really transformative for them, especially to have that support if they're aging out. My favorite thing, though, that I've seen so far is there's a nonprofit in San Francisco called Freedom Forward. They have a host home program, kind of like our nonprofit. It's different, but that's how I'm in connection with them. And they recently started a three-year pilot program called Family and Me, or FAM for short. And I think it's just really exciting. So it's a new model of foster care that's designed specifically to support youth who have been impacted or vulnerable to commercial sexual exploitation. These youth are they're less likely to kind of get the care that they need with the current system. They can often get sent to like group homes or sometimes out of state. And so FAM kind of aims to create this new approach to family-based foster care that includes comprehensive supports for youth and caregivers and allows the youth to stay within their communities and connected to people that they love. So they use this shared caregiving model So they have primary and secondary caregivers in this model. And the primary caregivers, they're the family that the youth live with most of the time. They're approved foster families, and they have access to more support than is traditionally available to caregivers in the foster system. And that includes support of secondary caregivers, ongoing specialized training and services like family therapy, 24-7 crisis response. And then the secondary caregivers, they're also approved foster families, but they don't have any youth who are formally placed with them. They actually commit to spending time with youth in the FAM program at least once a week through like meals or activities or whatever else feels right to them. And they also keep a room in their home available for the youth to stay out for short periods of time. And so you can think of those secondary caregivers as like a mentor plus respite. Yeah, it gives the youth another caring adult in their community that's regularly there to support them. And that's, like I said, it's crucial for these youth because they'll do better in committed, permanent, nurturing family homes. And they, the Free and Forward, they put a lot of research and planning into this program in order to kind of radically reimagine foster care for youth. You should consider interviewing them on your podcast. I'd be happy to connect you. I wrote them down. Oh, great. (laughs) 
I, yeah, I can send a connecting email if you'd like. Yeah, sure. Thanks very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Actually, it's a good segue to my next question, which is, in your research, how many other host home programs are there that you ran into that do focus on youth aging out of foster care? Or are they all maybe a little more general as far as who they serve? Yeah, so interesting question. So ones I've specifically been in contact to that actually focus solely on youth who have dealt with foster care. There's one in Redding, California. I know there's one starting up in Santa Clarita, California. Also, Freedom Forward, of course, has some of those programs, although it's not just for that. They also work with sexual exploitation. Yeah, a lot of host home programs are actually more specific to the LGBTQ community, which is also another very vulnerable population to experiencing homelessness. Some are specifically for foster care, some are more general. And I specifically chose to be more general just because we are a more rural area and wanting to see what kind of youth end up in the program and seeing if I need to tailor it more from there. Right. No, it makes sense. It does make sense. Well, if you don't mind, I'll ask you if you can send me the names of the programs in Reading and uh, Santa Clarita. I will add them to the yeah. resource list when I post the podcast so that if people are curious, they can look those up as well. Yeah. And actually, the one in Santa Clarita, I was just in touch with their ED the other day. They do some really cool stuff. Uh, you may want to interview for your podcast as well. So they have a program where youth who are out of foster care can work with the program to actually learn how to build their own tiny home and then they get to live there. And so they also gain some experience with construction and job skills and all of that. It's actually pretty cool. So um, I can put yeah. you in touch with them as well. Oh, that's great. I love the tiny home movement. For a while, it seemed like, you know, every other week I was getting some kind of article about tiny homes being built for youth aging out of foster care. And they're still happening. But yeah. I love the idea of that as transitional living. It's a little apartment, right? Little studio apartment. <laughs> well, I think we're getting close to our time here, Joanne. So let me ask the last question, which is to please complete this sentence, if you will. Understanding that you're getting your program off the ground, but the thing that I love the most about my organization is, how would you finish that? I would say that it's youth-centered. Making sure that youth are at the center of what we do, that we're providing supports for the youth, but that they have a say in everything that they are getting support with, that they are being heard, and also that they're included in leadership as well and shaping what we do and how we serve youth in the future. So I'd really like to get youth involved after the program started. And I have some opportunities for that. So I'm excited for that. Oh, great. Well, I am excited that you started this program. And I am going to be keeping my eye out for more host home programs like this for this population it's a new concept for me. I mean, that the idea of host homes isn't new, but to utilize host homes to help these young people is something I really haven't seen before as far as formalized programs. So I'm going to keep an eye on you <laughs> and see yeah, how you progress. Good. And I really would love to maybe follow up with you, say in a year or so, and see how things are going. Sure. Sounds good. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Joanne, for joining the podcast. And I do wish you all the best. Well, thank you. 
You're welcome. And for everyone else who's listened to the podcast to the end, thank you very much. We put out a podcast every couple weeks or so, so you can find our podcasts on our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and you'll see the podcast link on the homepage, or you can go to pretty much any place where you get a podcast these days. So thank you very much. Until next time.